0: This podcast is hosted by Chris Finkston and Spencer Oliver. They are both experienced paramedics. They've done everything from 911 ground ambulance to volunteer fire department work and are both currently flight paramedics. This podcast reviews scenarios based on real calls run by real out-of-hospital clinicians. Details are changed to protect the privacy of those involved and to present educational opportunities to the listener. This podcast is EMS 2020. All right.
1: Welcome to EMS 2020. I'm Spencer. Yeah, you that's, are. That's Chris. Yep.
0: Yeah. This is and this is Spencer <laughs> opening. I don't know why we have you open the show because I feel like I always. I it's, feel like it, I feel like you opening the show just means you talk first and then I open the show.
1: I I feel like a little like my kid, like my kids, like, oh, oh, Dad, can I cook dinner tonight? And I'm like, you. <laughs> I mean, you can, but sort of. And then right. they like make like three gratuitous stirs of the spaghetti sauce, and they're like, "All right, it's cooked. I'm done."
0: <laughs> and it's and just
1: uh, yeah, so that's that's the opening.
0: Uh, well, there it great. Is. Um... Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, see, now I feel like now I feel like I'm your mom trying to take over, but really I'm just embarrassing you at this point, you know? Like, okay, wow, Lil Chris, Spencer, you did a great job. Okay, Chris,
1: stop it, you're embarrassing me. God,
0: <laughs> God, not in front of my friends. Um, uh, anyway, <laughs> I can't wait to we embarrass shall- my kids. <laughs> Right, I know
1: that, it's going to be awesome.
0: It's going to be easy. I'm just going to have to go be me. <laughs> right, so anyway, just to, I know we say it every single time, but we are very thankful for you guys. You guys have been great. Lots of good reviews, lots of good recommendations on Facebook. You guys yeah, keep You this- guys have You guys have been okay.
1: <laughs> Don't listen to Spence. So I've, so- I've courted better audiences in my life but uh, you guys are you good are
0: good. You know? wow no 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 uh, so I'll tell you what, if you guys would like to, re- to leave a review leave a five star review but feel free in the comments to just go ahead and shame the shit out of Spencer like that's fine that's absolutely fine. The fan mail pretty much does anyway, so you might as well make it public. <laughs> so.
1: That's that's true. Chris has gotten some very complimentary, uh, very complimentary <laughs> emails. Um,
0: yeah, uh, there's there's been a few that you know if <laughs> never mind. <laughs> all right so moving on along and also i want to give a shout out to our non-healthcare listeners uh we have a surprising number of like people who are not in the healthcare industry who listen and there's been a few people who have said like hey like i recently like due to covid like i lost my job as a caterer or a chef and as much as we feel that's awesome i feel a little guilty because like you know i'm an ems and well you know <laughs> i don't know if I want everybody to go down this road <laughs> Uh, But at the same time,
1: you too can be overworked and poor.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Tell you what, you want to work two jobs to afford a Ford F-150? EMS is for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not. That's actually my life, but still.
1: Actually, All right. the, well
0: uh, to be fair, if you do EMS right, there is money to be made. But that being said, I guess we should probably get started with this thing.
1: Yes, you have promised me a call.
0: I have promised you a call. And Spencer's coming in um, pretty loose on this one and like even the title doesn't like give it away. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of happy about that. Um, so, oh, and one, uh, final thing, uh, we are EMS 20 slash 20 at Facebook. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram as well. That is at EMS 2020 show on Instagram, email us at EMS 2020 podcast at gmail.com. And with that, let's go to the call. So first we're going to set the scene. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. This is a very urban area. Um, I don't want to say which urban area it is, but they do like quarterbacks that throw interceptions. Anyway, so uh <laughs> <laughs> this urban area, especially lately, god damn it. Uh this urban area is pretty paramedic heavy response. Uh the police department is also part of the healthcare game because they respond to a lot of these and the way they respond and things they can do is actually ahead of a lot of other areas. It's pretty impressive. Now we'll dabble in that just a little bit. Uh, all of their squad cars have defibrillators and Narcan and the officers. Oh, nice. Yeah. And the officers also have protocols for when to use them. Those actually developed in conjunction with the lower fire, uh, with the lower, with wow, uh, with the local <laughs> fire department. The cops would love to hear me say that, but yeah. Um, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I just meant on the ground because, you know, I'm a flight medic, and so they're just physically oh, lower. That's fuck. all I meant. That's all I meant. Oh. Look, look, <laughs> no, hang on. It's, it's research time. It's research time, and I'm pretty sure that on the research page for your FPC, it does happen there. How many times have you told someone you were a flight medic this year? And you have to get at least, <laughs> at least 102 times. So... It's true. Anyways, yeah. So they have a they have a protocol that is uh, developed in conjunction with the local fire department. They also train with the fire department as well on what to do. So it's actually a really solid system. Uh, when 911 is called and a medical response is determined to be necessary, an ambulance from a private ambulance company is dispatched and a fire engine is also dispatched or truck or whatever nearby paramedic fire resource. Uh, Copy. Is there. Comes in. Speaking of that, both the ambulance and the engine will have at least one paramedic present, but there's often more than that. So your typical fire crew is four people, typical ambulance crew is two. So of the six people, a third of those people, at least two of them, are going to be paramedics usually it's more usually it's like three or four paramedics on scene so you're it's it's pretty paramedic dense which is awesome um both agencies are fairly well funded they both have like the newest equipment they often actually buy uh, equipment both the private ambulance and the fire department buy equipment in conjunction with each other so it's the same uh oh wow yeah nice. spencer and i you know, like we have both worked in systems where you carry like for example the heart monitor you know, there's the heart monitors. For those that aren't in the field and don't know this, our heart monitors do more than just monitoring a heart. They they do that. They do 12 leads. They defibrillate. They can pace. They can cardiovert. They can record data that has nothing to do with the monitor itself, like when you give epinephrine. And they all work a little bit differently, all the different brands. So this is really cool in the sense of the private ambulance agency and the fire department, since they're really the only two agencies in town uh, they buy the same equipment, so they don't really have to worry about like swapping monitors, and everyone knows how to use the same stuff. So that's really cool. I really like that. Um, they have a very yeah. high standard of care. They train together, and today's call, by the way, is going to highlight how all these resources and all this training and all this funding uh, is entirely worthless if it isn't used properly. Uh, <laughs> you can you can put that value right down to zero if you fuck up good enough. So. We have a call. Call is dispatched in the intersection of No Patient Parkway and Refusal Road. A squad car has called for a Code 3 ambulance for an And un- that's
1: what? Police, police squad car, yes, correct? Yes. Yep. Correct. A police
0: okay. squad car has called for a Code 3 ambulance uh, for an unconscious unresponsive patient that is now in the back of their squad car. Uh, our responding ambulance is going to be Unit 00 and they are currently posted at Refusal Road and Lawsuit Lane. So if you remember the squad car is at No <laughs> Patient Parkway and refusal Road, so they're only a few blocks down. So basically, they turn left out of the parking lot they're on, turn left from lawsuit Lane onto refusal Road. They go right past foreshadowing Street, and then bam! Oh, I've been there. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we just we just went there, uh, and bam! They're on scene. So they're there really quick. Our crew today okay. is going to be a paramedic and EMT basic combo. So, the paramedic who we're going to call Honey Bucket has been a paramedic. <laughs> oh, come on. Oh, man. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to put it this way. Here's a little more foreshadowing. Uh, his name is Honey Bucket. The other person's name is Portajon. And I'm just going to say those names are appropriate because maybe they receive some other people's shit from time to time. All right. So, Honey Bucket has been a paramedic for six years. All of those years are in the same system. He's in a leadership role at the agency. I don't want to give the title because this is a title that I've never heard in any other agency before. And uh, it would kind of give it away. We try to keep these anonymous. Um, so we'll just say he's a supervisor, I guess, of sorts. And uh, yeah, so his partner is an emt basic uh who we're going to go ahead and call port john like i said earlier uh and he is an experienced emt from another state but has only been in this particular system for about one year so um, but aside from like his FTEP rotation, which is the field training portion of when he was hired, uh, he has spent the entire time with honey bucket and they have a really good working relationship. So he's oh, been okay. probably, but yeah, so I think they do, I think they said they do a two month FTEP up there. So he's had 10 months working with honey bucket. So copy that. So they know each other, they work well. Uh, right. They arrive on scene, and from their ambulance, they can see one police officer pulling a handcuffed patient out of the back of a squad car and another pulling a defibrillator out of the trunk of the squad car. Oh. Both officers appear very alarmed. Uh, as the patient is being placed on his back, uh, one officer starts compressions. By the way, hands are still cuffed behind the patient's back while he's doing compressions. Hmm the officer getting out the dfib unit sees the crew arrive and then just puts his dfib unit back Um which is
1: <laughs> yeah that's fair right. it's
0: fine that that's fair cuz they're bringing one cuz you're going to have to switch over to ours anyway so you might as well uh so our crew grabs their kits which is uh they they have a monitor a med bag airway bag and a suction unit like the medway bag is ba- or the med bag is basically like that's where you've got your saline your iv stuff your io stuff your oh, drugs okay, copy airway bag is going to be oxygen innovation equipment nebulizers oxygen mass, those kind of BBM. things and then yep. yeah exactly that's all going to be in there and then a suction unit uh, and they quickly just start moving towards the patient all right so spencer as you if you were to pull up to this scene you saw the cops pulling a guy out and it's just you and your partner and the two cops like, what do you start doing at this point? Like, do you just trust that this guy's coded and needs compressions? Because I've I've been on that scene before. Where I'm like, hey, you can stop beating the guy's chest in. He's yeah, fine. I mean, like, there's, where do you go?
1: There's first off, I let out the hefty sigh of like, oh god, damn it. Especially if it's going to be a my lot patient. Of like, oh, why couldn't it be my partner's turn? <laughs> right. Um, exactly. Yeah. It, you know, I, I would also come in kind of alarmed. Like, I'd come in sort of like, okay, it's it might be a code. I would assume, based on what we're seeing, that the patient most like just recently coded. Um, and I'd want to confirm it, and I'd want to get the patient's, you know, uh, hand hands uncuffed. Uh, especially if, like, okay. there's some pa- – you know, like, I don't know what the patient looks like, but uh, there's some patients that, like, if their arms are back there, I just – I can't imagine – Doing adequate compressions with like their arms back there, but you know,
0: yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point because you need a good like you need like if you're whatever if you're pushing down on something with with the intent to compress yep. the surface behind it is just as important as the surface above it exactly Which the surface above it being your hands surface behind it being the street so if you have arms and hands back there that you're it is going to impact your compression so okay yep
1: um but beyond that I mean I just kind of want to f- like I just want to find out what's going on like hey what
0: what happened that they just suddenly died yeah exactly so basically what you're starting what you're kind of starting to look for is i mean if i'm hearing you correctly is like okay like we got to work this code because there's no piece of history that's going to change the fact this man needs cpr and some drugs and a line and we're gonna go down that that's happening but like how did he get here because like that's important yeah and i'll tell you this he's a younger looking guy when you walk up it's not like they pulled an old man gotcha you know they pulled out a guy in his 20s
1: you're right i'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself in that like the first step is obviously like hey you got to set up for a code and you got to you know like dedicate yourself to you know uh to accomplishing that but in short order like if there's a prevent like a correctable cause like The patient got into a fight, and then he has perhaps like a tension pneumothorax, uh, you know, or something along those lines, where you can correct that. um, Then that would be something you'd want to do quick.
0: Well, and in fairness to you, I mean, I think when you and I like, like step onto a scene, um, just we just assume that like, yeah, we're going to be running the code and you got to start thinking about how he got there right off the bat. That that's really important. I mean, thinking about your H's and T's, which H and T's is a mnemonic that you should really be familiar with, but they're basically reasons why people die is what it comes down to. It's (laughs) like reasons why people code. And you got to get through them. You got to get through those things and figure out because I mean, like, do we just give this guy Narcan? Is there something else? Like you said, like the tension pneumo going on that we can correct rapidly and to where this doesn't have to be a code anymore. Exactly. So no, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you. So here's what ends up. Here's what the crew ends up doing. So both parameters crew members believe the patient is legitimately coded because that is kind of a concern when you pop out and you see other people doing CPR who aren't necessarily trained to your level. Cause a lot of the CPR instructions these days are like, Hey, if they're not responsive, push on the chest. Yeah. You know, and so, um, but both of them are like, yeah, this is probably legit because the patient is getting his chest turned inside out by a police <laughs> officer that is <laughs> roughly the size of like a yeti. Like, this is a huge cop, and he's and he's doing exactly what he should do, hard and fast in the middle of his uh, of the patient's chest. Which for this guy, hard and fast is yeah, like digging a pothole in the road, but still. <laughs> With the guy's sternum, but you know he's that's, he's doing his job, man. That's you know? how they get there. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly every pothole you see is just where some giant cop did CPR. <laughs> and you heard it here on EMS 2020. So, all you conspiracy <laughs> theories theorists out there, like, add this, yep. add this to it. It's just the cops digging them in there. Right. So they're doing these compressions and, and this guy is getting these compressions from this guy and the patient's not budging. So if there was any semblance of consciousness left, this man doesn't have it because that would wake you up. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that or the guys now traumatic death either way. So Porter John goes there, kneels right down, uh, down right next to the patient and starts cutting around the officer's hands uh, as the officer is doing compressions. And by the way, good on oh, the cop here. Cutting, cutting like the shirt. Yeah, cutting the shirt. Okay, okay I'm gotcha. just, just slashing the shit out of the patient. Just flips out a switchblade <laughs> I mean. and takes care of business. No, actually, I think he's a guy from uh, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal Lecter. That's how, uh, that's, <laughs> that's how he's getting this done. Uh, nice. But no, like seriously, like non-EMS personnel typically kind of like back away uh, when we hop on scene and this cop's like just sticking with it. Like he knows to just keep on that chest, which is awesome. So uh, at this point, He finishes cutting off the the, the shirt. Porter John does. He finishes cutting off the patient's shirt. And he goes ahead and he applies defib patches. They're using a Zoll monitor. And this particular Zoll unit has an accelerometer built into the patches, or like some people call it the CPR peanut. Basically, it's a little device that you put in the center of a chest that when you perform CPR, you do your compressions right on top of this thing. And it measures how good your CPR is and then reminds you to do better when you start sucking at it. Uh, It's integrated uh, into the DFID pad itself and... Uh, he goes ahead and gives the officer some very clear and concise, like, hey, this is how you use it. Look here. You need your wavy line to be in between these two straight lines. And Honeybucket, uh, who is the person who actually brought us the story, was really impressed with Porter John's ability. I can't, it's really hard to talk about two outhouses running a call. But anyway, <laughs> uh, which is my own fault because I wrote those names into this. But anyway, um, yeah, he's really <laughs> impressed. Then, yeah. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> he was really impressed with poor John's ability to give concise instructions to the officer who has never seen an accelerometer before. Um, so, uh, applause all around uh, for <laughs> Port John for just taking <laughs> care of that. Just yep. Sanitizing those instructions. Boy, I uh, can't
1: wait till Outhouse shows up on scene.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. How long has he been down, Honeybucket inquires. Good question. And the cop responds, uh, this is the officer who's not doing CPR, by the way. He says, I don't know. Uh, We put him in the car about five, six minutes ago, and he was quiet really soon after that. I didn't realize he was out. So. Okay. Honeybucket goes ahead and assumes his role as PIC, which is pretty obvious because he is the only paramedic on scene right now. And he starts assigning uh, roles. So he assigns the officers to rotate CPR, which they're really familiar with, which is great. Uh, Porta goes ahead and places an OPA and a bag, and then Honey readies uh, an IO. He instructs the officers to continue for one minute, knowing that regardless of the rhythm, two minutes of CPR will be needed to be done, uh, and he estimates they've already done about one minute of CPR. Really quick, just to clarify, this is the protocol for the area at this time. I do know that there are areas right now where, so what it used to be is, hey, you get on scene, you do two minutes of CPR before you defib. There are some municipalities out there that are saying, hey, like you get on scene, it's like start CPR, but don't, even if it was inadequate, don't worry about doing two minutes, go straight to DFib. I've heard of that kind of being out there. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. So for this area, that's their protocol. You do two minutes uh two minutes of CPR. Basically, the only time you wouldn't do two minutes of CPR is if there was high quality CPR started on a witness of rest. You wouldn't do two minutes of CPR. You okay, just go gotcha, straight gotcha. to straight to DFib. Um Yeah, so for this area, that's their protocol. Right now they're actually doing a study where on all code ninety-nines, they are doing they're going to place an io and then use superglottic airways instead of innovation on all code 99s um technically this patient should be excluded because he's in custody most studies will say like you can't anyone who's in custody you don't do you don't do a study on but like yeah of all things to consider in a code apparently he just didn't consider
1: that okay so
0: gotcha. um so yeah so he goes for the io um probably because we're doing a study on it i don't know if he would have gone for an iv otherwise but um sure. anyway so th- the io
1: works fast it's super fast
0: yeah. i i would I
1: would go for an IO before and he an IV does a humoral
0: IV, IO. And I'll tell you, like I got really good at humoral IOs, and they flow just as just as well as an IV does. Like I, I, I love them. I think they're fantastic. I, I'm a fan. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so honey, he quickly drills in the IO, and uh, though he admits it might take him a little bit longer than the than the minute to do that, because like like we said earlier, he assumed one minute of CPR was going on and he was going to give himself one minute to start an IV and then take a look at the rhythm uh, for that two minutes of CPR, you know, prior to analyzing that we just sure. talked about, but uh, he says it might okay. have taken a little bit longer. So he goes to analyze the rhythm. It's V-fib. He instructs his partner to go ahead and charge and shock the patient. That's technically out of the protocol for the basic. We've brought this up before though, like limited resources, uh, yeah it's pushing two buttons that he knows how to push yeah and you're telling him which ones to push for me personally you're
1: you're basically doing it yeah as long as you're as long as you're the one making the decision on it and you you know your partner knows what they're doing in that regard i like i i'm really not gonna
0: it's just somebody like (laughs) here's the i would personally i mean as long as i had a basic that I, I trusted decently enough to push two buttons, which, hey, I've had partners where I haven't trusted them to tie their own shoes, let alone push defibrillator buttons. But sure. these guys have been working with each other enough. Um, I personally would do it. You, yeah. the listener, should do whatever your boss or your medical director says to do. But absolutely, that is what I would do. So don't, don't throw us under the bus. Absolutely. (laughs) Just roll yourself under that. Uh, (laughs) You do you. Yeah. (laughs) You do you, boo. So uh, yeah, they charge, uh, they shock, they do that. His partner clears the patient, delivers a shock and the officers, again, very well trained. They know to go right back into CPR after that shock's delivered. So they do. It's awesome. Nice. Uh, Honey goes ahead and he pushes an amp of one to 10,000 Epi right into that IO. And he instructs his partner to go ahead and drop a King airway after Honey uh, preps it for him and hands it over to him. Uh, The King is placed. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. No, stellar move. I love that. Sharing that, you know, like, because EMTs don't often in a lot of areas don't get a lot of experience, especially in paramedic heavy areas. Yeah. Where it's basically a bunch of paramedics or a bunch of seagulls going mine, mine, mine. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So, like, yeah, when you, like, it was like, hey, man, you do that. Like, it's in your scope. Yeah. It's just, it's beautiful. It's in your scope. Get this
0: done. And also, it's another thing, too. Like, nothing gets you more, like, fucking hung up as a PIC than dicking around with an airway. Like, we've talked about that phenomenon before. Uh, Whenever you get into an intervention, it's like dunking your head underwater. And all you can really focus on is what's in front of you. Like, when you're underwater, all you focus on is, like, holding your breath and dealing with being underwater. And then you pop your head back up and say, like, okay, so what's going on? That's what going for an airway is like. So this is a good move on Honey's Honey's part. He has a basic, it's in the scope of practice. He's just going to drop a king and he does it. So it's awesome. So king gets placed. Honey readies some amiodarone, which is going to be the next drug at 300 milligrams. And another two minutes of CPR go by. They do a rhythm check. It's V-fib again. They shock. Honey pushes the amio and the code continues like so. They do another two minutes of CPR. They come into a PEA tachycardia. For those not in the know, PEA basically means, hey, we have electrical activity on the monitor that says something should be happening, but you check a pulse and nothing is really happening. It's pulseless electrical activity. So tachycardia, it's fast. He drops an amp of epi, which he should. Another two minutes of CPR go by. It's V-fib again. They go ahead and shock. He drops amiodarone at 150 milligrams. Another two minutes of CPR goes by. Hey, wait a second. Where the fuck is fire? Fire should have been here. Oh, shit. Never mind. Tacky P.E.A. Uh, again, no pulse. Uh, an app of EMPI. Two minutes of CPR go by. No, wait, really. Where the fuck is fire? They are down the road. Why are they not here? So the code has hmm. been. Yeah. <laughs> so as the code has been going on, Honey is now realizing, hey, fire department should definitely be here by now. So he says this out loud. He goes, hey, did anyone here at the fire department's coming? Because he's kind of frustrated. And one of the officers says, "Uh, yeah, well, no. Uh, we asked for the last ambulance to come to our location and we thought they would still be close. Oh. We didn't know he was go- he was coded at the time or we would have asked for the fire crew to return also. The other officer, through the compression, says, yeah, we gave Narcan in his nose thinking that was it. I called for medical and then I couldn't find a pulse after that and then you guys were here. Mm. Suddenly, yeah, so you're cluing in too here. At the same time, Honey clues in he goes, wait a second. Are we the second crew on this patient? What happened to the, oh shit, it's been two minutes. Uh, so it's VFib. They shock. Honey scrambles to get 100 milligrams of lidocaine uh, going with a very rough estimation of 1.5 milligrams per kilogram of Lido as CPR is being resumed. Honey pops on his radio and calls for the fire department and then continues on with the call. They get to the next rhythm check and they find it to be sinus tachycardia, but this time it isn't pulseless. It takes a nearby fire resource like just a few minutes to arrive on scene. The fire resource is a truck crew from the nearest station. And this station uh, also happens to house an engine crew as well. So the truck crew arrives and Honey Bucket uh, goes ahead and gives a quick rundown for them.
1: Okay. So was this part of the same crew who responded to the patient
0: last time? So no, because maybe
1: they know about the patient.
0: No, uh, so good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So it is the same station, but that station houses two crews. One is a truck company. One is an engine company. Uh, we're going to dive into the first call on this patient in a little bit. But no, this truck crew has not seen this patient before. They are from the same station, from the last fire crew that responded the first time to this patient. Um, but no, they have not seen this patient before. The truck crew's a new crew to this guy. Okay. Okay. Copy that. So, Spence, really quick, before we move on... When we give when we give rundowns, I know everyone really wants to know about this first call now. Like, why is this a second touch? But we're gonna tease a little bit. What do you look for in a past? Day? Like, if I like, like, let's say your honey bucket, what are you gonna tell the firefighters coming in?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the ice bar, which is essentially the introduction. So you say, "Hey, this is who I am. This is my like role in here. Uh, this is the situation: patients in cardiac arrest. This is the background and On the background, I'm hoping that the crew spent the time, you know, like the PIC spent time getting like a history of present illness and all of that from the the, like the police officers to the best they could. I mean, like sounds like there was another crew there that that needs some digging Um, in
0: this case. It almost kind of seems like he's finding out the HPI as fire department arrives
1: and I kind of hold that against them a little bit. Like, that, that, that could have, that process should have been started far earlier, you know, like with the H's and T's with the police officers. I know he's got to, you know, like he's trying to run a code and he's probably thinking about those next steps, but in those steps are H's and T's. And to establish some of that, you got to know, like, what, what happened with this patient? Like what's going on? What was the history leading up to? What were the events? So.
0: And to bolster your point there, like I have found myself in that position. Like once you kind of get a code going in a rhythm, there's honestly not a lot to do. I mean, there really isn't like, like once you get like, okay, I've got my, I've got my vascular access and my airway established. I'm doing nothing until two minutes is up. I'm just watching other people work really hard as a PIC. Yeah. But sometimes it gets kind of like almost like, oh, finally, I got my head above water. I want to take a break. You know, like I'm just going to watch this happen. You can't. That's a great time to start getting an HPI. And that really should have been done because right now he doesn't have much. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, th- anyway, to, to go back to that, you know, the, so the background, then the assessment and a recommendation and slash request. So in this case, it would be like, hey, he's in cardiac arrest. We're doing compressions. I need you guys to fill these following roles. I need people to switch out with the compressors who are undoubtedly tired. I need somebody on medications. I need somebody charting, you know, um, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this, et cetera. Um, I I think that's the best best way to handle that.
0: The the way I Um, look at it is like when people come in, I say like, hey, this is what I need to be done now. This is what I need to be done. And then then you assign those now roles, right? Like This is what I need to be yeah. done now. I need you on drugs, you on compressions, whatever. Then you say, this is what I want. This is the direction I want to go in the future. This is why. So that's why I look at it. What do you need now? Whoops. What do you need right now? What do you need in five minutes? And then why do you need those things? Because that gets you the priorities taken care of. Roles assigned, the now things are being done. And then you start talking future talk. Then you talk about your future talk, what you're getting next, and then you give the why. And then by then, uh, the things that need to be done are done. The direction you need to go is established and why you need to get there. Everyone's on the same page.
1: Yeah. No, that's nice. I like that. That's a nice breakdown, too.
0: Yeah. it's. I said it, so it's fantastic. Anyway, all right. So uh, <laughs> our
1: listeners would agree.
0: Yeah. So especially the ones that email us. So let's go ahead and move on. Uh, right. So things are finally calm enough at this point because he's, the guy's got a pulse back and they're starting to load the guy and he starts getting some demographics. So the patient is a 23 year old male and it turns out that he was running from the police. And at this point... your television screen does a 1990s sitcom flashback effect,
1: followed by like a
0: doodololo. exactly. Don't make now me. That. I don't want to do the editing to find that sound.
1: <laughs> no, that sound works. Yeah, the sound I did totally.
0: Yeah, no, we're just. You know what? That and your pregnancy scream is going to be in there. Uh, so, so it all started when police are called to an apartment complex for an attempted break-in. It's a white male in his 20s wearing a gray hoodie and torn up jeans trying to get into an apartment and bolts when the resident threatens to stab him. That's when, oh, you, know, yeah, that's when you know you're in a good, uh, you're a good part of town. Because uh, like stab is so intimate. Like it's one thing you're like, I'm going to shoot you or I'm going to kill you. But to be like, I'm going to stab you. That means I have a specific plan on how you're going to die. <laughs> that's... It's true. So on their way to the call, the police see a man matching this description, walking away from the scene. When this man sees a cop car, he bolts. Uh, so the cops <laughs> pursue him on what is a very lengthy foot race, eventually uh, cornering him on No Patient Parkway and Abandonment Avenue, a few blocks south of their current intersection on Refusal Road. He gets gotcha. Yeah, he also gets tased, which is great. Uh, So per their protocol, the police activate an EMS response to the scene due to a taser deployment. They always do that. Uh, They expect to get kind of a quick, he's fine, book him Dano, kind of from EMS. uh, And so they wait for EMS to arrive. The engine from the aforementioned uh, station response, not the truck that's there now, but the other crew. uh, Oh,
1: gotcha. Okay, gotcha, gotcha.
0: And they find the following patient. So age, 23 years old, sex, male, uh, blood pressure, 164 over 92, Heart rate, 180. Saturations on room air is 100%. Pupils are possibly dilated, but it's also really dark out, so that could be appropriate. Uh, I don't know if they reacted to light or not. Uh, level of consciousness alert. He's yelling at providers, telling them to go reproduce with the bear trap, you know, like all sorts of things that sure people come up with. Uh, so history of present illness they can get from the police officer that this fire engine crew can get about 15 minutes ago. The patient was tackled and tased after a lengthy foot race from the police. So he's been sitting on the ground in handcuffs now for 15 minutes. Uh, And still has those vitals with that heart rate. The cops know him really, really well, stating that he has a long history of drug use. When they ask, like, which drugs, the cops just say all of the drugs. He does all of them. Uh, The PIC from the engine asks if the patient has done any meth, and the patient responds with, I'm not a fucking meth head. So, yeah, he's got his standards. Uh, So, (laughs) at about this time... Uh, an ambulance crew shows up and out pops a paramedic who we shall call liability and his (laughs) paramedic (laughs) and his paramedic partner uh, who we will call middleman. So the fire PIC meets with them and starts talking to them about transport. He says, look, PD really wants to take this guy in, but I think he really needs to be transported. Uh, He's probably been like sitting here for like 15, 20 minutes now And his heart rate is, like, still in, like, the 180s. And I think he's on meth. Uh, Liability rolls his eyes and states the following. He goes, well, he just ran from the cops. He's surrounded by the cops. He just got tased. And he's on meth. I'm not on fucking meth from the background. Um, (laughs) uh, And then liability says, I think I know why his heart rate is so high. And, like, what do you expect the emergency room to do for this guy?
1: Uh... Ah, Okay, I, I, All right. I feel uh, like you on. have I, something you would like to say. I, I I'm going to interrupt on that point That's because fine. it's a it's a contentious point for me. So I have a theory where this comes from. Like we often drop off these lower acuity and usually unhappy patients to the ER, and like we turn over this work to a grumpy nurse who's irritated by the arrival of said patient, and they wear that expression of like annoyance it's just like uh like it's the fucking like the hottest goddamn fashion (laughs) right right son on tiktok looks badass (laughs) (laughs) so basically they just get grumpy at you or express some general displeasure about getting this patient and i think a lot of us interpret this to mean like uh this patient doesn't belong here. Like they don't need to be here, but I don't think, I don't think that's actually what it is. It's more fuck. I have to work and I'm tired. And maybe my empathy is drained up and like this person's going to be whiny, but it's not like they don't need to be there. It's just like, fuck, I have to work.
0: You know, and And like you talked about, like, like sighing and rolling your eyes when you arrive on, on something that looks like it's going to be a code. It's kind of the same thing.
1: Like that's it it's a just a good old-fashioned 100% pure spite at the fact that there's now more work to do. Like, listen, I get irritated when I have to do the dishes at home and I make shitty comments. (laughs) Nice. And I'll, like, I'll snap at people. Like, no, I know. I know the dishes need to be done. But, like, there's no one going to be arguing, like, the dishes don't need to be done. Right. right? Like, it's just, like, I'm just upset that I have to do the work. And I feel like, (laughs) I think the problem is, is, like, This is a really good point. We mistake somebody else's, like, just, like, a lot of us, especially when we're new, like, I don't know, I look for, like, hey, did I do right? Nurse at the hospital? Especially when I wasn't sure what was going on with the patient. And I would, like, I would internalize all of those, you know, like, the attitudes that I got.
0: I think what we're trying to get at here is, it's the nurse's fault, that's that's basically it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Blame a nurse. Blame Canada.
0: Uh, so actually, I mean, in, in all seriousness, like I want to point out that we're not saying that these nurses are lazy. I mean, we just talked about how us as paramedics do the exact same thing. when We roll up on a code 99 like, fuck, I have to work. That's not what we're trying to say. If anything, we're saying that the that the current system overworks nurses and I, like... It- exactly that's like everybody's getting is. overworked
1: and everybody's tired and so like we just have to recognize that like this doesn't mean like just because someone's irritated that you brought a patient like and unfairly so whatever you didn't you know you didn't necessarily may have wanted to bring the patient but like if you see this happen if this happens a bazillion times over then that's like that's how we kind of get to the spot we start assuming that patients who do need to go to the hospital wouldn't be served at the hospital because like the nurses get grumpy when we bring them there. Like, And that's not, that's not fair. It's not right. Fair enough. So. All
0: right. So to continue with uh, this, this call here, the details, um, the details past that past his, uh, comment about, you know, like, what do you expect the ER to do with this guy? Like, yeah, his heart rate's high, but he's on meth and he ran from the cops. Big deal. You know, wait for the meth to wear off kind of attitude. Um, The details past that are hazy. There's kind of a longer argument between him and the fire department. Uh, And then liability states at one point tells the fire department, hey, look, I'm going to transport. Just go ahead and clear. And the fire department just kind of says, all right, fine. And they clear Uh, only for liability to go ahead and end up talking to the police department and then not transport the patient. Oh, after he said he was going to. Okay. Um, so liability cleared about 10 minutes after he cleared the fire department. So the last known heart rate is from the fire department's monitor before they disconnected it as liability never reconnected his own monitor and the last known heart rate after the patient had been sitting for what is now close to 40 minutes. By the time you include like his argument with the fire department, his conversation with the police department, uh, it's still in the 180s. Wow. and the police then load him into a squad car and they start down the road and the patient goes quiet as liability and middleman go to another call and we know the rest. We know how we got to this point. Snap back to the present. (laughs) Honeybucket and the trunk company are in the back with the patient. Uh, They now know uh, at least most of the history with this guy. They're going code three to the nearest ER. It's about a seven-minute transport. Pulse is still present. Patient is still unconscious, but does appear to be over-breathing the back, which is good, you know, in the long run. Vital signs are as follows. Blood pressure, 154 over 110. Heart rate, 145. respiratory rate is like 20-ish, you know, between the patient breathing and the BVM. Um, End tidal CO2 is 30, and the 12 lead is negative for AMI. And I don't know if there's any other findings on there, uh, but uh, negative for AMI. So as they continue towards the hospital, they notice that the heart rate uh, begins to rapidly climb. As they pull into the emergency room, the heart rate is once again in the 180s. The patient is becoming (laughs) agitated, to the point, the fire department and ER employees are now holding down his extremities while sedation is being drawn up.
1: Right. <laughs> well, so, he does have a king airway
0: in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, in all fairness. I think he just grabbed that thing and pushed down and say stay still. Um, did they do
1: any uh did they do any post sedation prior to that, do you know? Or I'm guessing he no, probably No, he's didn't had zero
0: sed- like like to the like he you know, he said no sedation at, at this point. Okay, copy I, that. Yeah. Like between the start and them holding down his extremities? No, they've done nothing. Okay. So no, uh, he didn't get anything there. I think, um, I don't know if it was for them. Like, I don't know. Here's the thing I didn't check. I don't know what this agency carries for station. So it might have been one of those things where all they carry is benzodiazepines. Uh, although his blood pressure was firm. It was in the 150s. That's a solid blood pressure. Yeah. I, I'd be comfortable giving a benzo to that. So... Yeah. yeah, but no they did they, they have not given anything for sedation or at least they didn't mention it in the call so I don't know and I'm gonna guess no I mean if the guy I mean he gets yeah. rosk, his heart rate gets up and then his arms start moving I'm gonna say sedation was either wasn't well, given or what you did give was not enough yeah so
1: well on the plus side yeah you know, good neuro exam <laughs> <laughs> exactly The guys whole should guy turn out. to the doctor the doctor is everyone's like sweating and struggling to hold him down yeah you know, <laughs> you're welcome Exactly. Save this for you.
0: You know, for all the times they bitch about us snowing people, I think that should be the one time where you're like, so are you gonna thank me for not snowing this guy?
1: (laughs) You're welcome.
0: Anyway, uh (laughs) so uh so here's the thing, he ends up actually being um so long story short, he does get a little bit of sedation in there. I I want I'm sure they put him on like a propofol drip or something like that. And he stays in the 180s uh, for a while. Doctor comes in and says, you know what? I'm calling it SVT. And they electrically cardiovert the guy. Huh. Yeah, they do a synchronized cardioversion uh, after uh, he got some free. He, the Versed was one of the things he also got. Uh, and he ends up being tacky for quite a while longer. Even he ends up getting admitted to the ICU and stays tacky there. But after the cardioversion, his heart rate never returned uh, to the extremes. Oh, okay. So... Uh, oh, and by the way, you know, the guy said he was not a (laughs) method and they did a talk screen on the guy And and let's just say, well, let's just say sometimes you need to trust your patients. Uh, but in this case, by the way, he was on meth and cocaine. So don't trust this guy. But <laughs> you should overall trust your patience. But yeah, no, he he, yeah, he, was, yeah, he was on but meth. But in this case, like, yeah, totally <laughs> he was definitely hot. on meth. So let's crack in to a lot of the things uh, that went wrong on this call. And there are a lot of things that went wrong on this call. Let's talk about the first crew cuz I think there were some things that the second crew I think could have improved on here and there but we kind of touched on them like as we went along like we touched on hey like get that hpi sooner that really could have helped uh, with a lot of things ultimately I don't think there would be a piece of history in this particular patient that would have changed the treatment um
1: yeah I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out you know like was this like a, a like a excited delirium kind of a thing where you know sure. like the, just just in that hyper metabolic state and his ph just went over and you know he couldn't take it mm-hmm. um or if there was like i don't know some kind of like coronary spasm that happened because that can happen with cocaine and amphetamines where you know like you just you get those spasms and you go into <laughs> you end up having a heart attack or a pseudo heart attack yeah um so
0: so yeah so here's kind of things thing I think. So let's talk about that first crew that got called on there and ended up not transporting. Um, yeah. God, there's, there's a lot of breakdowns here. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners out there that are probably like, Oh, that was stupid. Like I would never do that. Oh my God. how they leave that guy? I understand the initial outrage, but I'd be willing to bet if you really sat, if you've been doing this for a while and you really sat and thought to yourself, how many times have you responded with police? and medically cleared somebody and walked away with a cancel call that maybe should have gotten more paperwork, at least a refusal. Or how many times have you been there and the cops are like, well, I'm not going to sign that refusal. And the patient sure as fuck isn't going to sign it. Cause he's currently telling you to, I want to see what, fornicate with a bear trap is what this guy was saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like he's not going to sign it and you just clear no patient contact. Think of the times where you have cleared. And I'm not saying even the ones with obvious things like here's the thing. This was actually pretty obvious. I mean, come on heart rate, a sustained heart rate of 180 of a guy who's been sitting on the ground doing nothing. Something's up. Think about the times you've gotten like, Oh, that abdominal pain or that time the guy was tackled and he's getting arrested and you're just there to check a box. Every police officer I've ever run with where I've been like, Hey, I really think this person needs to go has never resisted. They've never resisted that. They've been like, great, let's go then. Cause they don't want anything bad to truly happen to this person. They really don't. Um, I, I have had the experience where police have been
1: reluctant to let go of a patient. Um, and that's actually worthy of an episode. I, I, I'll, I should write that up. Um, <laughs> cause it was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, like most police officers, you go, Hey, listen, I, you know, like I can't tell you what this guy's on. I like, I didn't bring my talk screen yeah. with me. I can't tell you that they're going to be fine. They should go to the hospital. Like that's, I mean, that's mm-hmm. that n- very few, like rarely has a cop been like, no. Most of them are like, yeah, okay. But I do want to go
0: back to the specifics of this tachycardia on this and why this particular case was, it was such a poor choice uh, to, leave, to leave the guy, why this was so obvious. So here's the thing about tachycardias. I don't, the justification that the paramedics used I'm going to go back and actually reread it because I really want to reread it. And then I want to point something out. Uh, So liability rolls his eyes and then he states this. He says, well, he just ran from the cops. He is surrounded by the cops. He got tased and he is on meth. Uh, So I think I know why the guy's heart rate is so high. What do you expect the air to do for this guy? That entire sentence. There is no one part of that sentence. As much as it may sound logical to some people, and as much as I've heard very similar things said from people that I have worked with, none of it makes sense clinically whatsoever. It is absolutely said. Well, this is what frustrates me is it's almost kind of is, I think a lot of people listening to me like are gonna say, if they're honest with themselves, they're gonna be like, I have said something like this, or I have heard it said. It makes no sense. Here's the thing. If you walked in into someone's living room and they were not a criminal and they were sitting on their couch for 40 minutes and they're like, hey, I came in and sat down. My heart rate's going through the roof and you put them on a arm and said it was 180. You would call it SVT and you would treat it. There's no, I mean, think about that. There's no reason you wouldn't give that particular patient adenosine. And the second thing on top of that is, why do we treat tachycardias in the first place?
1: Oh, because we want coronary artery perfusion. Absolutely.
0: We want coronary artery perfusion. Uh, So Spence, if someone's going along at 180, does it matter if it's because of SVT or meth or anything else to affect coronary artery perfusion?
1: it only matters in that if there's a correctable cause for it it doesn't matter necessarily the source in terms of like the effect that it's having on the heart the heart rate is still exactly. high exactly like if it's if it's too high then it's not getting that adequate like filling time it's not getting you know the adequate time to get you know enough blood for as hard as as hard as your heart is working uh down those coronary arteries so
0: the reason tachycardias are are bad specifically for the coronary arteries is that the coronary arteries actually fill on diastole every other artery in your body fills with systole when your heart squeezes the coronary arteries get their blood supply when the heart relaxes and the reason that is is because you have the, aor- the aortic valve that's the valve between the left ventricle and the and the aorta it closes when it closes, the blood remaining in the aorta, because the coronary arteries come right off the uh, the aorta where it meets with the heart. And so the blood left in the aorta, when that valve closes, that goes into the uh, coronary arteries. So the problem is, is in tachycardia, that valve stays open for too long. It's open more often than it's shut. And so the blood never gets a chance to sit on top of that valve and flow into coronary arteries. It just... It actually doesn't even drain; just keeps getting pushed out because it, every time it's open, is, the ventricle is contracting. So you never really get a ton of blood going to the coronary arteries. So in methamphetamine use, if you have a tachycardia from methamphetamine use, you have a, you have some added problems. I'll talk about here in a little bit. But anyway, so that is why coronary poor coronary artery perfusion happens in tachycardias, and it doesn't matter why the tachycardia is going on; that will happen.
1: Yeah. I I think the other thing to be concerned about for this patient too, and and something that this, you know, the the previous paramedic overlooked, you know, the uh, liability, you know, either didn't consider or just downplayed significantly was like, you know, like I know excited delirium is kind of a hot, you know, it's a a hot buzzword. And I know that there is some controversy, whether it's a, like a legitimate thing or not. Um, But what isn't, controversial is that for whatever reason, there is a bunch of patients, uh, who are often interacting with police who are often, you know, like combative, um, and high on, you know, like, uh, stimulants and they are, t- they like get to the point where they're in such a hyper metabolic state that they really need to like, their body is working on overdrive and it's generating a ton of Acid and a ton of waste that the patient has to breathe off, you know. And so they're in this hypermetabolic state. They're they're hypo, hyperthermic. They're you know they're too hot. Their heart rate's high. Their blood pressure's high. And they're breathing a ton of times a minute to blow that off. They're usually like agitated and aggressive, you know. Often requiring restraint and or chemical sedation. And so like that, that this is sort of a, this, like, this is a patient that I'd be like, I, you know, I hear the heart rate and I hear what's going on and I'm like, oh, this is a patient who could be a candidate for this. And based on those vitals that like, that makes me really concerned. Right. Um, and like, don't get me wrong. I am very sympathetic to like, I don't like being yelled at by patients i don't like being treated like shit sometimes i also get tired and i like if it's the end of my shift and i'm dealing with a patient who's like fuck you you know go fuck a bear trap then I like yeah like fuck that guy i like i don't want to be there but this is like this is pretty blatant disregard like i I can't see a scenario cause I'm trying to be charitable. I'm like, well, maybe the patient didn't have a complaint. But I'm like, hey, there's no, there's really no way out. Like there's no out that I can see that forgives. No, this. there isn't. Um, um, and, and so I just like, this is one where I'm like, this medic is just super wrong. And, uh, this is, this is negligible.
0: Right. Like, um, it's and, negligence. Yeah, call it like yeah, it is. It's negligence. Yeah. Um, Negligence. Yeah. Thank you. Not it's, a, it's actually the opposite of negligible. It's pretty significant. Um, yep. but, yep. <laughs> uh, and the other thing too is, um, when, when the guy says, you know, just kind of tearing apart his stupid excuse when he says that when liability says that, oh, and the guy's on meth, um, that's actually more reason to take someone in. Uh, the most common dysrhythmia or the most common, uh, EKG abnormality among meth users is prolonged QT interval. Uh, yeah, oh, it's uh, depending on which study you read, it's anywhere from like 36% of meth users to 27%. And there's a lot of studies done on it. So it's generally accepted that methamphetamines prolong the QT interval. Even people who are taking methamphetamines as legitimate treatment for um, other disorders, because there are disorders that where amphetamines are used, uh, have prolonged QT intervals. Sure. So a prolonged QT interval, if you look on an EKG, you have here P, Q, R, S, and T. Waves. So the Q is the beginning of that big spike that represents ventricular contraction. Uh, The T is the T wave, which represents ventricular relaxation. Uh, The QT interval is the measurement from the start of that spike to that T. If you prolong that, basically what happens is you have a longer time between depolarization, which is contraction of the ventricles, and repolarization, which is relaxation of the ventricles. That makes you more susceptible to something called R on T. So in the QRS complex, the R is the peak of contraction when it comes to the ventricle. That's the big spike that you see. If that R happens to land on a T wave, which is depolarization, you essentially get a portion of the heart contracting and a portion of the heart relaxing. Sometimes this results in something like it's called a a PVC or premature ventricular contraction, and it's kind of a no big deal. Uh, with the prolonged QT and then you add tachycardia induced by meth and running, you have a huge opportunity for this to happen, except we also have a heart that is being poorly perfused because coronary arteries are not getting their fill. And when the heart is poorly perfused, it becomes very, very irritable. So basically, met tachycardic patients on meth are very, very, very prone to R on T That will result in ventricular fibrillation, which is, of course, a non-perfusing rhythm and is death. So if someone is on meth, that is more of a reason to take them in, not less. So that is where that is where liability really irritates me is at this point, he's just liability doesn't want to transport this guy, period. And what he is doing is he is finding reason after reason. And the reasons are made up at this point. So, and liability is an experienced medic.
1: Are they? Okay. That was going to be my other question was like, is this, I mean, you know, because again, we're hearing this from people who are mad at this person, you know, like this is a story of a, of a, of a medic's performance. Who's mad. So I, I take it with a grain of salt, but like, even so like, I really just, there's, yeah, like there would have to be. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, so how about this? Liability is liability has been a paramedic for nine years. I don't know how long middleman the other patient has been paramedic for. Liability's been a paramedic for nine years, and um, liability knows better. I guess that's what I'm trying to say, or maybe yeah. liability doesn't know better, and that's a problem. So yeah, this is kind of one yeah. of those things where hmm. it it upsets I, me.
1: Yeah. Well, I I think here's another thing to keep in mind. And I, I like the point you were making too earlier is that like, we've all sort of been close to this in at least attitude. If we're practicing, you know, like if, if, if you're a practicing paramedic, you've definitely encountered, you know, like calls where you're, you know, like your empathy's down or if it's police, uh, police is kind of a unique one. I think like in terms of like police refusals or like police involved calls, Um, I'd refer everyone to listen to the, uh, episode where we kind of dug into refusals. I think that's just a couple back. Um, refusals are really dangerous situations. I won't rehash the entire argument, but like, we know that we definitely under triage a certain population of patients, usually, you know, mentally ill, elderly, um, and, the mentally ill and the the and i'm including drug addiction in that um that like these are people who often encounter police officers and then we're encountering them and they're difficult historians they're difficult to get information from you're not usually finding them in the best spots and so it's really easy it's it's very simple Or I guess it's very easy to like write off things and overlook things, especially when there's a cop there, because you're like, well, if I leave, there's still an adult in the room able to, you know, like mitigate anything that could go wrong. But you're putting a lot of stuff on a police officer who police officers already have enough shit to deal with. Like, let's not make like and uh, yeah, and then just monitor this person's blood sugar uh, every so often. And, uh, you know, and by the way, if they start to go into a tachycardia, have them breathe deep and blow into this. Like, no, don't right. just, no, just I don't know. Take that off their plate. Yeah. <laughs> take
0: the uh, by patient. the way, that, that episode I, that uh, Spencer's talking about is pump the brakes.
1: Yeah. It, so I think we hit on all the other notes for the, for the second crew. I, I, I really think like, yeah, this is a, this is a hard episode, buddy. Like this was,
0: this is an interesting one.
1: I'm, I'm really just, I'm sad at the performance of liability on this one.
0: Yeah. It's, it's disappointing. Um, And I got a little angry back there a second ago, but I mean, like you said, like we both said, like, we've all probably been closer to this than, than we are comfortable with. We we've all, I I mean, I I can think back to times where I've cleared and said, "Ah, no patient contact. And it's like, no, I had patient contact and I've just been lucky enough that, you know, something didn't happen to the guy. You know, it was just, it's just one of those things where liability (laughs) (laughs) liability on no patient road and, uh, or no patient, no patient parkway and refusal road. Uh, you know, Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it was a problem. Don't be that guy. <laughs> uh, with that, I think that concludes yeah. this episode. Thanks again, guys, for listening. Uh, as always, hit us up on social media. Write us an email. Our social media is EMS20 20 on Facebook. If you want us on Instagram, which a lot of you do, it's uh, EMS, it's uh, at EMS2020 show. Please email email us at EMS2020podcast at gmail.com. And with that... Uh, You know, Spencer, let's just go ahead and clear no patient contact. We're done.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm good. I got popcorn.